of God's Word. You can open it to Luke 18, or you can uh, read along on the screen. Uh, We continue this morning our series in what you might call the Habits of Grace. We say that as we talk about the spiritual disciplines, because I know many of us were uh, maybe raised or have been around in a religious culture a view of the spiritual disciplines that is very driven by guilt very driven by performance, very driven by earning God's acceptance or in competition with other Christians to see who can sort of win at being the best. And so we want to say that it's not legalism to pursue God through His Word if we pursue it as a repetition of love, as those who have been loved by God and those who seek to love Him and be with Him. And so we'll continue talking about that this morning in regards to prayer. Last week we talked about the Word. And we are unashamedly what you might call a meat and potatoes church. So although we may not be traditional in many ways, I mean, we're just about the ordinary works of God's grace through His Word and through prayer and through preaching and through singing and through being His people together in the stuff of everyday life. I mean, that's just what we're going to do. That's what we believe. If you go to the Bible and you say, what does it look like to be the church? What does it look like to follow Jesus, to be a disciple? You know, we've got nothing new to invent. We've got nothing really innovative to do. We just want to follow Jesus. We just want to give our lives to Him unashamedly. And we believe that that's not boring, that that's not drudgery, that that's not stale, but that that's where the Holy Spirit meets us and floods our hearts with the grace of God so that we then go out into this dark world that we've lamented with good news that lasts. That isn't just in a, a, in a moment an emotional high, a fix, but, but is emotional, but holds us when we want to quit. Holds us when we're full of doubts. Because we're not the one holding. It's God's grace holding on to us. So in Luke 18, 1 through 7, we're going to read that, and then we'll read verses 15 through 17, where we'll really think about uh, this call to the habit of prayer. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says? And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And then verses 15 and 17, just down a little bit. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. Father, we ask you today that you would bring us your truth and that it would set us free particularly when it comes to a a relationship with you through what we call prayer, through a life of intentional conversation with you as our Father. Wherever we're bound, wherever we're enslaved, 
whether in our mind, our heart, our, our actions, our time, might you set us free today so that we might enjoy you and glorify you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to make an assumption that most of us in here know who Kobe Bryant is. Who doesn't know who Kobe Bryant is? Okay, so everybody is or you're too embarrassed to admit it. All right, so Kobe Bryant, supposedly he's one of the great basketball players of all time, prayed for the Los Angeles Lakers before LeBron James came along and was in the spotlight. <coughs> Excuse me. People were doing the whole Kobe compared with Jordan like we do the whole LeBron compared with Jordan now. And we won't get into that debate because I know that that can get pretty intense pretty fast. But what you may not realize is that me and Kobe Bryant had a real moment together. So I went to college in Chicago and played for a very small basketball team there that doesn't mean anything, don't get sidetracked. But what was really cool is that whoever played the Chicago Bulls practiced in our gym. So I got to see Rasheed Wallace, if you remember him, Allen Iverson, Steve Francis, all of these guys that at that time I really idolized. But the Lakers would come practice there too. And so if I'm lying, I'm dying, it's close to me and Cody, you know, I would watch all of these guys walk by, and uh, one day the Lakers are coming through, here comes Shaq walking through, and then here comes Kobe, and I think I, I'm going to be a smart aleck and get his attention, and so this will date me a little bit too. So I look at Kobe, and I say, hey, isn't that, guy that went, isn't that the guy that went to the prom with Brandy? Now, if y'all don't remember who Brandy is, then you need to Wikipedia that. She was a real famous pop star back in the day. I don't even know if she's around anymore. I had not heard that long. But Kobe went to the prom with her, and so I was going to act like I didn't know who Kobe was, but I knew who Brandy was, and that's who made him famous. And it worked. So he's walking, and he hears me say that, and he turns around and looks at me and points and laughs like it was funny. And so that's pretty awesome, isn't it? So I had this moment with Kobe O'Brien, or Kobe Bryant. I don't even say his name right. So I met him once. I spoke to him once. We had this moment. I watched him from a distance. I can know a lot about him. I could go study and learn about him right now. But do I have a real relationship with him? No. Now, I could stretch that, right? I don't really think I've stretched it too much on that part. But I could. And be a great fan. But I can't really be a great friend. Because I can't talk to him. I can't have a relationship with him. I can't have conversations with him. I can't get access to him. That is the closest I'll probably ever get to people with any degree of fame like that. I can't be with them. And I believe in my heart, particularly in the religious South, if not in the world, that is what so much of Christianity passes for today. People know about God and people have had a moment with God. Right? Many people in our culture, right, or they're all going to say they're Christians, they're all going to say they're disciples, we're going to say that because they had some sort of moment with him at one time, whether it was in a particular church service, a vacation Bible school, some type of revival meeting, they had this moment with God where they felt like they connected, but after that, there's nothing. And that may be where some of you are at today. It's honestly where I've been at parts of my life, this idea that we know about God, but we don't relate with him. It's almost as if we're his fan, but we're not his friend. We're definitely not family. The gospel is all about changing that. Last week we looked in Hebrews chapter 4 and we saw this is why Jesus has come. 
He has not come merely to bring us into church services. He has not merely come to give us moments with God. He has come to bring us into the Holy of Holies so that we can have an intimate, everyday relationship with the King of Glory. That is amazing. And even on the days when your sin is the worst, when your thought life is the most, the most crazy, your anger is the most raging, your fear is the most crippling, that you are covered with the blood of Jesus and you can boldly and confidently approach the throne of grace in the time of need. That's amazing, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. If we want to move from just this fan relationship with God to this friendship with God that He calls us to, really even deeper to this father-child family relationship, then we have to move into the habit of talking with God like family and not just like a fan. So how do we do that? We've got to have the perspective for this type of prayer, for this type of family fair, and that is to pray like a child. So we often talk about how we want our identities to drive our activity. That we don't want to start with saying this is what you do, but we want to say the logic of the gospel is we start with who we are. And so if we really believe we're the children of God, then how would that affect how we talk with God? What do you think? Right. Maybe sometimes a little too much, in our opinion. That's good, Mike. So Mike said if you didn't hear him, you know, they'd have no problem coming to him and talking as a child. What else? If we really believed that we were God's children and he was our father, how would that affect how we conversate with him? It's okay to be needy. You believe that's important, right? Hey, we're family. We talk to each other. And when you, when you live in that type of proximity, you would think something's off here if we're, if we're not sort of repetitively communicating with one another. This is how we want to think, right? If this is who we are, then what would it look like if we really believe this we were really led of the Spirit in this area. So we asked this question, should we pray like a child? Because many of us have these, these over-inflated views of sort of the transcendent holiness of God, to use those big words, that really are not biblical. So we believe in a big God in our church, a holy God, who we don't approach flippantly. But we believe in a God who has came near to us in Christ. And who has, and this is where the gospel is just mind blowing and has called us his children, and I believe does through his word tell us to approach him like a child. Like his child. Yet so often in the church, and even in traditions maybe like ours, where we do have such a big vision of God, we find ourselves like the disciples rebuking people for coming to God like a child. But notice, Jesus brings together the, the great holiness of God as our Father and yet the great nearness of God as our Father. So Matthew 6, 8. 
The disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And what is the first thing he says to guide us? Our Father. Relationship with God, prayer with God, begins with knowing him as Father. In Matthew 7, Jesus compares how the fathers of humanity provide for their children. And he says, if if earthly fathers care for their children in this way, how much more your Father in heaven? In Galatians 4, 6, and 7, we see that we have been redeemed from the curse of the law so that we might be given the Spirit that cries out in our hearts, Abba, Father. Same thing in Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, crying out in their hearts, Abba, Father. This word, Abba, some debate on how how we need to understand that, but, but pretty much consensus agreement. This is a very intimate, personal approach to God as our Father. And then we see here that Jesus says, you have to come to me as a child if you want any part in the kingdom of God. This strikes at our pride, and yet this is at the heart of what a real life of prayer out of our gospel identity looks like. Some of you touched on these things, but what prayer like a child is not, it's not performance. Kids don't care for the most part. When they're really little, especially, they don't care. It's not always polished. It can be. Right? You like it sometimes when they take the time to write out a little card with a crayon. I love you, Mama. Love you, Daddy. Love you, Grandma. Love you, Aunt, Cousin. Right? That's nice. But a lot of times it's screaming, it's moaning. It's complaining. It's not phony. It's not in a certain tone of voice. Right? Some of us grew up where people prayed and all of a sudden they spoke in King James. Now there's some, there's some good intentions behind that. I'm not, I'm not being critical or negative, but that ain't how a child does. It's natural. Sometimes too natural. And it's not occasional. Children are needy, and they're needy a lot. So what is it? It's relational. It's family relational. It's intimate. In the Psalms, we see this. If you ever want a a course on how to pray, then you go to the Psalms. You don't need me to just teach a lot. Just go to the Psalms. Let God's Word teach you how to pray. It is very intimate. The psalmists say things like in Psalm 18, I love you, Lord. That's maybe hard for some of us men. Maybe for some women. I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. Over and over. His love endures forever. Jesus, Father, Father, Father. You know, there was a time in my life where I was so theologically accurate, I would mock any song that had someone saying, I love you, Lord. And I just want to repent in front of all of you for that. Because that's what the Bible says. It's more biblical than the Bible. That's pride. That's arrogance. That's making God into a a subject to study, not a father to, to love and to follow. 
Prayer like a child is real. Man, it's real. Whether you have children in here or not, if you've been around children, you know, this gets real fast. That may be why some of you don't want to be around children. Right? Like, hey, here's my diaper. And it's full. That's life with a baby. It's out of control. It's messy. It's like Psalm 13, where the psalmist says, What's up, God? Are you going to forget me forever? How long, O Lord, am I going to have have sorrow in my heart every day? It's Psalm 88 that just ends with this phrase, and darkness is my only friend. And guess what? God said, I want you all to have that as an example of how you can talk to me. So I'm going to have the Holy Spirit inspire that prayer and put it in my word. Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's that Romans 8.15 crying out, Abba, Father. As Paul later says, we consider ourselves as sheep oftentimes being slaughtered in this world. It's not always polished. And it's repetitive. Prayer like a child. Mama, 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 mama. Daddy, 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 daddy. Grandma, 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 grandma. There's a Muppets version of Bohemian Rhapsody where an animal just sings, Mama, mama. And instead of like Freddie Mercury, he just keeps saying mama over and over again. And Cassie and I always laugh like, yeah, that's a lot like our house. It's repetitive. It's like Lauren was saying, right? It's, we're just, we just keep coming back, don't we? That's not, it's not like a plan. It's just a relationship. And in that type of relationship, there's repetition. Psalm 55:17. Chris, I think we have that here. 55, 16, and 17, the psalmist says, But I call to the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. So here we have kind of all this put together, right? I mean, this is relational. I call to God. I'm trusting he'll save me. It's, it's real. I complain and moan. Maybe some of you in here didn't know you were allowed to complain and moan to God. Well, he already hears all that complaining and moaning going on in your heart anyway. Might as well just like say, here it is, God, and have a relationship with him in the middle of it instead of kind of saying, God can't handle that part of my life. And then at evening, morning, and noon, there's this repetition, this relationship. It's prayer like a child because we are the family of God. Jason's not in here, but one night in our missional community, he was leading a family meal, that is, so we want to be careful. Our missional community is not a meeting. It's who we are. So there I slipped up. Good chance to say that. At our family meal, Jason's leading through the story of God. Now, do you think his kids give a rip whether he's leading this or not? No. I mean, Josiah just walks in right in the middle of him explaining something, leading us in question. He's like, hey, Dad! I mean, the audacity of the interruption that our kids will. 
Do you think our kids care what kind of night sleep we're having? If they're afraid? No, they know their mom and dad love them. And although, who knows what Cassie, how Cassie and I will react in the middle of the night, because we've got a lot of growth to do. There they are. Need a cup of water. Need a water. Need one more hug. You read me a story. I'm afraid, right? Absurdities. I'm afraid. What if somebody's going to break into my house? What if there's a monster under my bed in the closet? Absurd needs. Real needs. Children bring them to their father. Maybe you didn't have a father like that. Maybe you had a father like me. Kaylee could testify, right? Sometimes you come and you just get up grumpy like, I'm stomping out of bed. If you don't learn to go to bed, we did this a hundred times. But the good news is our Father in Heaven is never grumpy, never cranky, never out of control. He doesn't need sleep. He's there. And He's still there for us as adults who sometimes have absurd needs and sometimes have real needs and some nights we can't sleep because our hearts are so heavy with what's going on in our lives, our families' lives. And He wants us to come to Him. He doesn't want us to think that we can't bring it to Him. That we've got to get it cleaned up first. That we've got to figure out the right way to say it first. No, He wants to come, us to come to Him like a child. Some of us, though, I think maybe prefer the performance and the phony and the random. And why would we do that? Why would maybe we prefer performance over a real relationship? What do you think? Yeah, that could be it. Performance makes us maybe feel better. Yeah. Any other reasons we might prefer performance over relationship? Right. Yeah. That's good. Those are both good. I mean, that's it. I mean, we we have to admit it. We we talk out of one side of our mouth, right? I don't like all this stiff, formal, meaningless religion. And then we'd live the exact opposite out of the other side of our mouth or our lives. I mean, if we engage God in a real relationship, we know now this is like, I'm inviting God into this space. That's not safe. That's going to get awkward. And now it's going to make this issue actually feel even more important. And I'm already tired of thinking about it because I don't want such a heavy life. We prefer the phony because we don't want to get that real. We don't want to get real before God. We don't want to get real before ourselves. We don't want to cry. We don't want to complain. We don't want to moan. We just want God to fix it so we can get on with our lives. 
We prefer the random because we don't want to have to make a commitment. We don't want to be in that type of a relationship like a family where somebody's going to care if we don't call. There was a season in my life where my parents wanted me to call them, right? They're like, I don't want to call you. I'm okay. Right? We know if we enter this type of committed relationship with God, it's, there's a commitment there. That's the reason why some of us, and when it comes to these habits of grace, we don't want to do just the basic thing that really helps make all this happen, is you need to, before you leave today, set, here's the time and place I'm going to do this every day. And some of us are like, no, uh, I'm not setting a time and place. Why? Because we don't want to make that commitment, do we? And honestly, it's because we don't view God like a person. Because if you and me schedule to meet tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock for breakfast, it's going to mean something if one of us doesn't show up. But if we say, I'm going to schedule to meet with God tomorrow at 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock or 10 p.m. or 2 p.m. on the drive home, it just all of a sudden gets real. What we need to see is that as clarifying as that may be for where our allegiances are, is that God is not the kind of father who's wanting to beat you over the head with that right now. He's the kind of God who's saying, I want to be with you. I just love you. You're already praying all of these things somewhere else. Bring them to me. I mean, well, that's what we have to realize. We're already, already existing in these things. You may just be praying to yourself. You're thinking about this stuff. And you're mulling it over in your head. God just says, let me in on the drive to work. When you're laying at bed at night and you can't go to sleep. Some nights, I don't, I hate, I'll tell Cassie, I don't like bedtime because I lay down. Now all the, I get all these thoughts, right? It's like God's like, oh, let's, let's have that conversation together about that. For those of you who fear relationship, as I thought about this and I thought about these struggles in my own heart, I want us to see that the gospel comes to us in all of our awkwardness and our fear of intimacy and our self-protecting schemes, and then God is saying this, you know what? I've seen you. I've seen you naked as a baby. I saw you in the womb. I saw you even conceived. I saw all those things, and I've seen all those thoughts that run through your mind that would make you more than blush if they were proclaimed out loud here today, and I love you. God wants you to hear that. He's seen it all. He knows it all. And He still loves you. He wants you. If you're His child, He saw it all and He chose you. Loves you so much He conceived His Son into this world, made His Son naked as a baby, had Him walk the mile in your shoes. So he wants you to know, I can handle the awkwardness of being in a relationship with you. He can handle it. However messy it would be, if you think, well, you know, if you don't want to get in there, you get in my head, right? It's crazy town. Right? He's there. He knows it. 
He can handle it. You have a low view of God if you think He can't handle the mess and dirt and junk in your life. Or maybe it's just the shame of the suffering that you've endured. He can handle the intimate. He can bear the importance that we want to deflect or deny. So He's saying, come on. Let's get on with the relationship. Let's quit having this religious, let's quit having this fan-type occasional experiences, and let's do life together. You know, we talk do life, right? One of those phrases that gets old, do life, blah, 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 blah. Right? We're all so busy. We do the best we can to be together. But you know who can do life with you? Jesus can. Every day, every moment, he wants to. For those who fear the real, the gospel comes to us in all of our image-creating, phony, posturing, putting our best foot forward, saying, God's saying, I know how guilty you are and more how you, more you, much you should be. God's not pretending. He's not saying, let's not think about that. No, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, I know it's bad, it's worse. We deserve hell, infinite, eternal, conscious torment under the active wrath of God. you to know He has conspired Father, Son, and Spirit to rescue you, to make you His child. He did not do that. He did not send Jesus to the cross to bear that hell in your place to just have moments with you. He sent His Son to bring you before His throne so that you can live in a daily life-giving relationship with Him. This is what prayer is all about. When we try to hide from God in prayer, we're just revealing that we, we see He's running after us through His Spirit. Paul Miller, in a book that I would highly recommend on prayer called A Praying Life, says this, So instead of being paralyzed by who you are, begin with who you are. That's how the gospel works. God begins with you. It's a little scary because we're so messed up. But just start there in prayer. God, this is, this is who I am. This is where I am. And then just say, but this is who you are. And this is what you did for me. For those who fear the repetitive, we need to hear how the gospel comes to us in our lack of commitment. Running from us having the fear of showing up and being faithful. And to hear God saying, you know, I know you can't will yourself to change. I know you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I know this is bigger than God helps those who help themselves. I know that some of you really want to change. It's just hard. You're trying. you tried for years, if not decades, to get up early. Or not be distracted. Pray for five minutes without writing your grocery list out or whatever it is. I know that. And I know some of you who are consistent, you're consistent just because that's your personality. It's not because you love me any more than anybody else. But I want you to realize that even in all that, I've never went anywhere and I'm not going. I love you. I've given you my spirit 
that makes you actually even want to do that. And that's precious to me. You actually even want to have time with me. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing that, that we rebel humans from God would even give a rip that we didn't read our Bibles yesterday or pray. That's not because we're better than anybody. That's because of the Spirit of God's grace that He's put in our hearts. So let's just praise Him for that. God, I'm just thankful that still after 20 years, I'm still struggling with that. You're awesome, God, that you love me enough to not just take that spirit of desire away from me. That you're, that's the sign that you're pursuing me. And then you have to have the faith and, and hope that we can be more resolved. That we can maybe find new ways, new paths, a new accountability to pursue Him to rise in the power of grace. It's prayer like a child. It's relational. It's real. It's repetitive. Just briefly here, what might some, some practices be to help us get there? Again, we've got, to have, we've got to set the time, whether it's our Bible reading, it's our prayer, all these disciplines we're talking about this month. Just telling you, set you a time and a place. Maybe give you two for each day, Right? Or three, if you're like me, this, this can be hard for me too. We get so busy, right? You wake up and all of a sudden you get all these text messages, all this stuff to do, right? So you might need to set you a few windows, okay? Here's a time, this time of day it might happen. Here's a time, this time of day it might happen. And here's a time, this time of day it might happen. I got three options here. Now what the devil's going to do every day in your own flesh is you're probably going to just be ending up at the last one, right? Let's be honest but maybe not. I'm just, I'm just encouraging, right? That's not legalism, right? Remember, grace, Dallas Wilder, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So we set those, set those time and place. Got to do it. Get somebody else, right, doing it with you. That's what I hope our fight clubs can help encourage one another. But even if you're not connected there, right, find a friend, find a spouse, find a family member. <laughs> you need some reps, Right, so we've, we've given out some of these journals, and for those who don't know about it, we have these journal pages. Because you may want to just pray, pray God's Word. So whatever you read that day, just turn it into prayer. And this is where our questions that we read God's Word with can help us. So who is God? What has God done? Princes and Jesus, who am I? And what should I do? All right, you jot that down when you read. You're ready to pray. Right? Now I'm going to praise God for who He is. We call this the acts pattern for prayer. A, adoration. Praise God for who He is and what He's done. C, confession. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to confess my suffering. And I'm going to confess maybe where I feel like I'm under spiritual attack. T, thanksgiving. I'm going to thank Jesus for the gospel. I'm going to rehearse the gospel. Thank Him for His forgiveness, for His healing, for His deliverance. And then for any other provisions in my life that he's given. And then S is supplication. Big word, right? But you've got to make it acts work. Which just means your request. Where you ask the Holy Spirit to change you, to change others, and to do things. So right, we can all in here remember Acts, A-C-T-S. And what's so cool about that is that really mirrors our Sunday gathering too, right? When we talk about creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We hope that our Sunday gatherings are not just about a moment that happens here, but this is formative in our everyday lives. 
we praise God, confess our sin and suffering, thank Jesus for the gospel, and then ask the Spirit to send us out changed. You can pray, this is one of my favorites, the Lord's Prayer. Now, part of it comes through memorizing it, but it's not just saying the prayer, it's letting each pocket of this prayer be like a launch pad. So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And now what do we do? We just talk to God about being our Father. God, thank you that you're my Father. It's amazing to me that you would make me your child. I pray today as I go to work or as I go to school that you would help me to honor you. Forgive me for the times I haven't. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. God, I pray today that you would help me to be able to demonstrate your kingdom and declare it to someone else. Forgive me for when I've lived my life to build my own kingdom. Give us this day our daily bread. God, help me. I need bread. We need groceries. We need money. We need to keep the lights on. I need tuition money. I need to know what I'm going to do after I graduate. I need to know if I need to get a new job. I need you to provide for me in these areas. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. We then confess our sins. And then we say, God, am I showing the same forgiveness to others as you've shown to me? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, protect me today. I'm really tempted towards this sin. And I'm really tempted in this certain situation I may face today. Would you protect me there? Do you see? It's a pattern, right? Jesus taught us to pray. You can do that with the psalm. You can do that with the Ten Commandments. You can do that with our identities, disciples, families, servant, missionaries. You can do that with our four Gs, right? God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is... Glorious, so I don't need others' approval. God is good, so I don't need to look elsewhere for satisfaction. God is gracious, so I don't have to perform to be valued. For those of you who like the creeds and confessions of the church, you could take the Apostles' Creed. You could take books, prayer books, like the Book of Common Prayer, the Valley of Vision. There's so many tools to help us. And the reason this is important, that we have some patterns, even as we want to pray the relationship and the real, (coughs) is because have you ever been in a relationship with somebody? And every time you talk to them, it's like two hours later. And it's like, wow, every time we get together, we just talk about the same things, and that's good, and I'm glad that you can be open and honest and transparent and real with me. But there's some things I would like to talk about, too. So this is where we have to think about prayer as a conversation and letting God's word and these patterns help inform us is God actually wants to form the conversation sometimes. He wants to hear all that stuff and we can get it all out to him, but he also wants to shape us and say, you know, these are some good things for us to talk about. What if you took all of that jumbled mess going on in your head and heart and your life and now framed it within the direction of the Lord's prayer? I want to tell you, you, that might not sound like much. That's been powerful for my life. I remember when I was working in that factory and driving a forklift. And a lot of days, this was a, a unique season in my life that was hard. It's just, I just pray the Lord's Prayer all day long. And it was changing in my life. As a church that wants to make the real Jesus known, guess what? That means we're going to have to know Him. Not as a fan. Not even just as a friend, but as family. We're going to have to pray. Not as a religious exercise, 
but as children. Children of God. If we are not praying, Paul Miller says, then we are quietly confident that time, money, and talents are all we need in life. He says you'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy. But if like Jesus, as he would retreat often and pray, you realize that you need your Father, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, then we'll seek time to pray. So let us pray that we might know God as Father and not as man. God, we thank you that you pursue us to have a relationship. It's amazing that you're the one who's always pursuing to talk to us. It's crazy that you would love us like that. You would think it would be the other way around. And I pray, God, that, that we would enter into that love you have for us so that we would seek you. In the quiet, in the secret place, but also on the go, in our cars, in our workplaces, around our tables with our families, with our friends. God, teach us to pray like a child. Jesus' name.